You're just going to have to give me a second. The Lord will, uh, when he releases me, (laughs) uh, then I can teach. (laughs) Actually, if you think about it in the school, I actually did better like this. Right? (laughs) Ah, But since we wrote all this down, Lord, we may want to use it. Um, I have a shower thought for you. Maybe a couple of them. But one for sure. If you wonder what I'm doing, I have seven copies. These would be hard copies of what I'm going to talk about today. And if you want a hard copy, I can get you one at the end. If you want a digital copy, which is a PDF, I, you get your email and we'll all... all uh, woo! What the heck, man? The shower thought. The PDF will be in your box before you get home. Right? That means into your cell phones, into your iPads, into your computers, if you want them. And then you can print them out, do what you want. So, if you uh, make your email available to me, or, or better yet, you could give it to Corey. We'll put it in this and get it to you. How's that? Shower thought. We haven't started yet, by the way. This is the preface. Well, I try to make sense of what I'm doing here. Shower thought this morning. As I'm, I'm, was it this morning, Lord? No, that was yesterday. Okay, shower thought yesterday. It's one of my closets is in the shower. I really like that. And seemingly, Jesus likes showering with me because we do it a lot, and uh, he gives me this thought, you know, I was thinking about this, and I thought, do you know what, judgment day's already happened. Everybody's waiting for the judgment. It happened 2,000 years ago. Doesn't it say that Christ took my iniquity, that he took my sin? Therefore, judgment was on Christ. God judged on Christ the sins of the world. And he took them. Therefore, Judgment Day has already taken place. So if you're worried about Judgment Day and you know Christ, it's foolishness. Is there a great great white throne? Yeah. But you're in or you're out. Because it says he opens the books. So what is he doing? He's looking in the book to see if your name's there. Actually, he already knows it's there. I don't even know if the book's there. Probably for you. Because he doesn't need it. He knew about it before you were born whether you're in the book or not. So he's going to open the books, and you're either in or you're out. You either have Christ or you don't have Christ, and they'll know you by your fruit, right? It's really simple, isn't it? He's not going to go, well, no, you were really bad, so you're getting a bad place in hell. I mean, you know, there's hell and there's hell. Seriously. The rest of that's based at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you'll see that. That's all a bunch of baloney. It's all just a place so we can judge one another. Right? Make sense? If Jesus took your, ju- your, your sin and the judgment fell on him, then why would he bring it back up? Doesn't that sound a little silly? Either Christ died or he didn't. Just decide and get past it. Get over it already. 
Shower, talk with Jesus. All right. I've got these notes here so that um, I'd like to get some different people to read scriptures. That way you get to be part of participation in this thing. And um, it won't all be me speaking. And um, they're all wrote out for you. So even if you forgot to bring your Bible this morning, God forbid. Everybody got a Bible? Look at that. There you go. Uh, in the in the uh, see, it's good. Um, I have it because we're, because of time. I'm going to move fairly quickly. And again, I don't usually do this kind of thing where we go through scriptures like like we use scripture obviously all the time. But I meant where it's concentrated. And the reason it's concentrated is because you need to understand this revelation. If you don't understand this revelation, you will spend your time spinning your wheels and living at the foot of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it won't profit you anything. And it won't profit the kingdom of God at all. God wants us to advance. Remember that scripture we read last week that said um, about leaving the elementary things and moving on? Not even going back to talk about repentance, Paul said. What is he talking about? Growing into maturity. There's a place to mature in Christ. And I can only approach, pray, uh, approach God the Father to the degree I fear judgment. If there's any fear of judgment in me, that holds me back from coming in. But if Christ died for me, there should be no fear of judgment. I should be able to run right into the throne room and jump on his knee. I'm forgiven. But I'm much more than forgiven. Much more than forgiven. So that's what I want to lay down for you this morning. We're to be hearers of the word, right? Not just even hearers. He said to the, to the many times, he said, you hear but you don't listen. And that's kind of what happens with us is we, we hear through a Greek mindset. So we build information and logic in our heads, and most of it's gone before you get into your car. And it profits you nothing. So he says it's more important that you hear and you do. So doing is walking out the experience. It's owning it. You have to own the revelation. It has to be yours. It has to be practical. You have to be doing it. I don't want to hear about being, people being transported. I want to be transported. And I use that as an extreme to show you, and it says nothing is impossible, doesn't it? Nothing's impossible. Then why do we spend years and years and years learning about it and never doing it? It was like in the early days of uh, Highlands, I used to say, you know what, I'm sick of hearing about bread. I'm sick about hearing 50,000 ways to make bread and never eating it. I don't even want to hear about it anymore. Please, don't, if you can't give me bread, shut up. Now, it's blunt, but I'm sick of it. And what that is, is this right here. It's either I can partake of Christ... Or don't tell me about it. 
right? It has to be practical. That's the way the apostles were. They were practical. We have to experience it. It has to be real. And in James it says, James chapter 1, 6 to 8 says, But he must ask in faith, that's you and I, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. It's driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if there is this constant going back and forth, back and forth, in your mind, in your understanding about what's possible, what's not possible, whether I'm accepted or not accepted, where am I in God, you know, trying to repent of your sins constantly that the Holy Ghost isn't telling you anything about, then you wonder why nothing's happening. That right there is why. It's because God will not bless double-mindedness. He can't. There's doubt in us. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? That's what I'm going to show you this morning, is I'm going to show you where it is. And then you have to solidify in the truth, in the Scripture. That's why I said, go, tear it apart. Look through 100 translations. Don't believe me. Find out for yourself. Because it's only when you know that you know. I know. The only reason I experience what I experience is because I don't have double-mindedness on this anymore. I've settled it. I've settled it. I know he's ecstatic about me. Right? I know. Seven years ago when I was in Ohio, I went there with a team to do ministry. And on the Saturday morning, I got up and I went into the bathroom and the Lord just began to speak to me and download this into me. And he said, and I wished I had a wrote this, he gave me scriptures at the time, but I was so much enjoying the revelation and him, I didn't write them down and then he veiled it from me, and I could never find it again. Don't you hate when he does that? What a guy he tells you, and then he puts a veil over it. That's because he doesn't want me at that time, seven years ago, teaching something I knew nothing about. He only planted the seed. And what he was saying was that the day is coming, John, where the Word of God is going to become alive again. He said, you know how you see the Holy Spirit moving like in Toronto, what took place there? He said, you're going to see this with my word. You're going to see when the word and the spirit come together. You're going to see when the word of God goes forth. And what it does is actually change the heart of the person in front of you. They're awakened by the word of God that comes because the word is spirit. And it's alive. It's not a dead, logical thing. The word of God formed everything in the creation that you see. It formed it. In fact, the word of God is Christ himself. He's living and alive. So this morning as I speak, even the scripture as I share, you'll either get this logically out of a book, and I might as well read the Reader's Digest to you, or you will be quickened inside by something I say because it won't be me. It's Christ speaking to you and quickening Christ in you to the truth. And you will change before you leave that door. You'll come closer to him. It has to be this way. That's what the apostles were doing. The Word and the Spirit, he said, will come together and you will see people change in front of you. All of a sudden, they'll go from death to life. They'll wake up to the things that I want to show them and they'll begin to live out of the truth. 
you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's coming into that place. A full revelation of the Word brings a full manifestation of the Spirit. A full revelation of the Word brings a full manifestation of the Spirit. The only reason we're experiencing God the way we are is because we've accepted and received the Word of God. All of it? No. Otherwise, we would see so much more, but we will. But you've got to start somewhere. You've got to experience something and then grow into it. Does that make sense? And you'll understand by the end when you see this. You come into this and grow in it, experiencing it, and it's like waking up. Waking up. How many people want to wake up? I want to wake up, man. I didn't even know I was asleep. So first, we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are not exhaustive, um, scripture-based by any means. It's just some to give you some understanding about it. So you got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then you got the the foundations of of the of the uh, spirit of religion or the father of religion in the world today, especially in the West, and how he holds us captive. And it's through distance and delay. Distance and delay is in you. Whether you want to believe it or not, if you stop and think about it, and as we go through here, you'll know that you have it, but it's not of God. The father of religion kindly put these pillars inside you to keep you from the Lord, is what he did. And we see it in churches being preached every Sunday. Distance and delay. And then we have the cross and the revelation of the cross. The cross is amazing. It's as deep as the ocean, and it wasn't to give you a second chance. That's not what it is. And as you go into this thing, and the revelation starts to come, God's going to expound on this thing like we've never seen before. And then you move to this side, to the tree of life. And what does that mean to you right now? What is it all about? Then the new creation, the changes in the new creation of which apply to you right now. And then the renewing of your mind, which is all about you coming into this. That's the, that's the process to this. From this to this. And it's really about embracing this and understanding it. So let's go in. Um, Sue, how would you like to read Genesis chapter 2? You can just pick those papers up and that mic's alive. Genesis chapter 2. Well, just, you'll see that first paragraph, verses 8 and 9 and 15 to 17. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil shall not eat. For in, that, in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. 
All right, thank you. So we see that there's two trees that were in the garden. And Eden, all of Eden, isn't just um, a garden, but there's a garden in Eden, it says. If you look in there, you'll see that the garden is actually in Eden. And that this is much more than a geographical area on the earth. It's about an experience. It's about a position. It's about a dimension of living with God. And it's much more than about true trees, but there's a revelation in these two trees that he wants you to see. In Genesis um, chapter 3, 22 to 24, the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us now, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch forth his hand and take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. Isn't that crazy? It would have been possible for the man to be fallen in a fallen state and partake of eternal life and live forever in that state, or he wouldn't have put it there. So what does he do? So he says, Therefore the Lord God sent the man out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turns every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So something at this point, the, the Lord stationed the angels to prevent us to coming to Christ, to the tree of life, and receiving from it. So we are separated out, and there's this fall that takes place. And what it is, is the fall that takes place is a fall into carnality, a lower state of being. In 1976, the Lord showed me the lowest state. I didn't even understand this until the other morning. I had a dream a couple of days ago before for this Sunday. And in the dream, I was declaring this thing only fully out what was going on. And the Lord was showing me these things. And then as I woke up, I realized he started in, in when I died in the car accident, but he started planting the seeds of this in me at that time. I didn't understand it. I just, he, he just began to place it in. So when he began to unfold it, I would know that there was roots in the whole thing. So in 1976, he showed me that there were levels of perception in the world, right? And that the lowest level was the level of doggy uh, dog, carnality, the fallen state. And that was, you know, you come and steal from me, I will come to your house, rape your wife, kill your children, and rob you. Right? These people are in the world, I'm sorry to tell you. It's called dog-eat-dog. You do to me an eye for an eye, I'll rip one eye out and take the other one with it. Right? This is the way people think. That's the lowest state of carnality where man has fallen to. You can look back through and see huge brutality in history, and you'll understand that's where it is. He showed me this in 76. I knew nothing except I was dead and now I'm alive, literally. <laughs> and then he showed me the, the, the highest level called the pure in heart will see God. Now, at that time, obviously, I thought one day when I'm good enough and I work this stuff out, he'll appear to me. I didn't realize what he was talking about was another level of seeing. Scales coming off my eyes, 
slowly coming off, going from glory to glory to glory, scales coming off until I could walk like Enoch or like Jesus Christ. Seeing, right? All around me, perceiving. There are angels in the room right now. There's a cloud of witnesses standing around us. They're listening to me right now. We're not alone, as you may think. You're just in a third dimension, and your eyes have been dumbed down to that dimension. And God can waken you up, pull the scales off, and begin to show you. And this has happened to me. But he showed me levels. And so I've moved from that level of wanting to take your eye. Right? But I had to understand what this all meant. Do you see what I'm talking about? Okay. In Matthew 7, 1 and 2, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. These are the words of Christ. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So I used to say, you know what? I need mercy. I need to use a dump truck, not a teaspoon. If I'm not merciful, if I give mercy out like a teaspoon, guess what I'm getting? I'm in big doo-doo, right? So if you want mercy, man, make sure you're backing up the truck, right? But the, the thing about this is about Jesus saying, do not judge. Isn't that crazy? I would say the, one of the most judgmental things I've ever seen is Christians. Isn't that ridiculous? And I know it because I was there. But he's saying don't judge. First of all, don't judge yourself. You're constantly judging whether you're good or bad and whether you're a sinner or not a sinner. If this is good, that's good, that's bad, right? That's part of this tree. That's part of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Judging. He's not called us to judge, but he's called us to walk with him. So the two pillars that hold the religious structure in place, distance and delay. Uh, Alicia, how would you like to read the second paragraph under distance? See? There you go. I will get the first one. Um, I'm going to get you to read that one. Psalm, or Proverbs 15 through, says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Psalm 139. Um, you know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I could never escape from your spirit. I could never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Amazing. This is uh, David telling us, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Oh my gosh, do you know how many years I've tried to get into the presence of God? I should have read Psalm 139, which said to me, I can't escape it. Holy smokes, I don't have to seek it. I can't get away from him. See, that's the whole thing is where, where, can, where can 
God go. You see, these scriptures are teaching us, like in Matthew chapter 28, 20, in the New Living Translation, it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, what these scriptures teach us is the distance is a lie. How can an omnipresent God leave? Why do I ask him to come? He's right here. Right? There is no distance between me and God. I cannot escape his spirit and I cannot escape his presence. Therefore, I need to step back into his presence and accept it. If there's separation between his presence and you, it's in the soul. It's in your own mind. It's a belief system. Remember the double-minded man? There's a belief in you that it's accepted something that's a lie. Either the scripture's true or we just take the book and throw it and become Mormons. Right? Seriously. So we have to accept the word of God. There is no distance. God's right here, right now. He's as close as my breath. As close as my breath. I cannot escape him. I don't want to. Delay. Luke 17. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. Now, what did I do for years? I'm waiting for the kingdom to come. I'm waiting for external signs. I want to see something, right? Knock a few buildings down or something. Make me know you're here. I remember a guy one time um, that was a history teacher, and he was a Pentecostal. His, his, well, he wasn't really a Pentecostal. His grandmother was a Pentecostal preacher. He was a runner of Pente- from Pentecostalism. And he didn't like church or Christianity or anything else about it. But there was something in this kid, because he'd obviously went to church as a little kid, and, and there was something that had been put in there. And so I remember during the days when, after I got saved, but wasn't you know, aware of what had taken place yet. So I'm at his house, and we're smoking some reefers. And whenever we'd get high, we'd talk about Jesus for some reason. Well, I knew why I was. But he got into it, right? And I'll never forget one day. He drops on his knees, and with everything within him, seriously, he said, God, if you move that picture, I will give you my life, and I'll serve you forever. And see, he was serious. And he was there, and I watched him, and I'm kind of really wasted, like, and then the picture didn't move. He gets up, and he goes, see, God's not real. Sits down and carries on. Aren't we waiting for some external sign to see if God is real? Yet he tells us right here, it's not going to come. Here it is, there it is. The kingdom of God is within you. It came. It's in you. If anything, it wants to get out of you. It wants to come through you. The kingdom is within you. Jews knew 
that heaven was all around them and everything they needed from God was as close as their breath. They took the names of God, like Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and they said, it's right here, and they just receive it, and they've done really well with that one, haven't they? Because they believe it. They believe it. There is no delay in the kingdom. It's right here. The delay is in your mind. As long as it's established as pillars within you, it will restrain and hold you. See, that's the whole purpose, the gerbil on the wheel. The purpose of, the, of religion is to always get you to seek after but never attain. And then once in a while, God does something sovereign like Toronto, which nobody has an explanation for. They only, lots of times what we do is build doctrinal things after the fact. But the truth is, God just stood up in the midst of it and said, I love you and I'm real. But what now? But what now? And are we still looking for the same thing to come again? And if we are, we're missing it. It's already here. That was to wake us up, to live in, to enter into, right? So no distance and delay. John chapter 3, the cross. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Water speaks of the watery grave, death, baptism, right? Being baptized, going down into the water. So he's speaking about the fact that no one can enter the kingdom unless you come here through death, and then being receiving the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Carnality gives birth to carnality. If we practice religion, what do you get? You can call it spiritual, you can call it what you want, but if it's not experiential, it's carnality. I can stand in a garage all day and tell you I'm a car because I'm in the garage. Does that make me a car? If I start running, you hear the motor running, then believe me. But otherwise, I'm full of crap. Okay. He says, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, if you've got to be born again, it must mean you must die. You can't come to life again unless you die, right? Death must take place before birth. So the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it's coming from, where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. Everyone that's born of the Spirit. In other words, this is not logic, guys. This is not found in logic. The things of the kingdom cannot be uh, easily understood in logic. They're revelation, and they, they happen to you. Lots of times things happen. I don't have a clue what's going on. Seriously. I just know it's God. I know it's powerful. I can feel wind blowing. I feel myself completely out losing control to the Spirit, and I know it's His love 
pouring through me. But do I have a clue what's going on at that moment? No. In fact, most times to you or to the logical mind, it looks completely foolish. Right? But the thing about this is, do you really think just because you think it's foolish that the creator of the universe could show up and we should um, think that anything he does is of no avail? that he doesn't have something going on? If anything, he might be just offending your mind. But I cannot get more and more of God without becoming more and more like him. Right? I'm being changed. I'm being transformed. Do you see? You can't stand in the presence of the glory of God and think you come out of that the same way you went in. That would be very stupid. Moses didn't, did he? No. So why do we think we are? The problem is we've separated the presence from the person. You can't do that. This isn't a gift. The presence of the Lord is not a gift. It's not a wind. It's not a power. The force be with you. It's not that. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And when we come to the place of uh, honoring him, whether you understand it or not, if you see him, what would you do if he was physically stood in the room right now and he put his hand on my shoulder and then all of a sudden I look silly? What would be your response? You're physically seeing him stand there. I'm sure it would be different than it was this morning. And yet, that's what was going on. My presence is me in the present, he said. You can't separate presence. It's not a gift. It's not one of the, it's not the tenth gift of the Spirit. It's him. And as we honor and respect him, guess what? He comes closer in power. And we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, I've been extremely undone. When this first started happening, I'd curl up on the floor like a fetus because I freaked out. And I'd be going, God, I'm not sure I know what I'm asking for here. And I really was worried that I might just perish in the midst of it. You know, it's like, you know, like I said before, you think you're getting a kitten and out jumps a lion. You got it by the tail and he turns and looks at you and he could eat you for breakfast. But from staying in the glory, I've found the love of God permits me to go beyond my soulish apprehensions and fears, to enter the black cloud, right? To go through the black cloud, not to run like the Israelites. You go, Moses, man. We ain't going up there. We're going to die. But go through the black cloud because on the other side of the cloud is ecstasy. The other side of the cloud is ecstasy but you first got to recognize it. If you recognize the presence and you begin to honor him, we become familiar. If we honor him, forget about the vessel. I'm just a, I'm just a, a wineskin. Forget about the vessel. Look for Jesus. And if we honor him, man, oh man, you won't believe what's going to start happening here. 
I mean, it's already started. We're just getting tuned up a bit now into some reality, right? Repentance. That's what happens when you come to the cross, right? Repentance. Repentance is very important. But repentance usually comes by a spirit. There's called a spirit of repentance. It worked with Charles Finney. And what's repentance for? The lost. Those in darkness. It's not for the church. They're supposed to have already received it. That's why Finney, in the midst of people wailing and crying, he's got his head in the chimney laughing his, his butt off because he's in ecstasy. He's laughing and he's in joy. The Lord is my strength. And he feels bad because he's laughing and they're all crying. It's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Don't let them see me. They're going to think I'm nuts. Right? What's happening? He's undone. And then finally he's able to come out of it enough to go in their ear, you're going to be all right. Just accept Jesus. He's really good. Boom. They come in. It's like birth, right? Pain at childbirth. When the baby comes out, everybody's happy. That's what repentance is. Listen. The root word for repentance is pent, where we get our word today called penthouse, which is the highest part of the building, the penthouse. So repentance is a change of mind. That's what John the Baptist was saying. Hey, you're going the wrong direction, man. Turn around, right? Have a change of mind, a change of heart. And he says, this leads to a complete change of the behavior. We turn back to the high place. We turn back to the glory of God and to heaven. Then the joy comes, and here's the key. We become God-conscious, Christ-conscious, not sin-conscious. This is sin-conscious. Repentance brings you through here, which I'll explain more in a minute. Then, does it make sense to be sin conscious when we're on this side of the cross. No. There's a transformation taking place, as I'll get to again in a minute. But the fact of the matter is, if you spend all your time at the foot of the tree of knowledge of good, good and evil, after you've come here, then you've got distance and delay happening and you're deceived. Yes? You'll get straightened up right over there. It's going to help you significantly. Okay? Ask me again after I've talked about that. Because okay. uh, otherwise we'll just... Seriously, I know exactly where you are. Because I spent lots of time there. I had to work through this myself. Right? Because you don't go speak about something that hasn't happened to you. What would be the point? Okay. John 10. I'm going to just quote some of these for time's sake to move on. Because the cross is a bunch, if you noticed which is good. John 10, 7, Jesus says, <clears throat> I'm the door to the sheep. Right? He's a door. Then in John 10, 1, he says, um, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up, tries to climb up another way, he's a thief and a robber. Well, who's the thief? Right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Thief comes in the night. Right? The enemy's the thief. So you can't get to get to heaven or get to Christ, or to, sorry, to the Father any other way. He tells us this in John 14, 6 and 7. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, listen to this, you know him. 
because you've seen him. So if you've seen Christ, it was actually the Father manifesting himself in Jesus. You want to know what the Father's like? It's Jesus. He says it right there. If you, you've, once you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he came as a, a representation or to represent the Father. He's a mirror reflecting the Father to you. That one there alone is worth the entrance fee here. Seriously, that one changed my life. Once I've seen the whole character and everything of Jesus as the Father, oh man, I was like excited. Who gets to have a king and a God like that? We do. So he's showing us there's no way to the Father but through me. So any other religion, any other way that tells you that they can take you to heaven, thanks for playing. Because there's only one guy that died and rose from the dead. And it was God himself in the flesh, in the, in the flesh body of Jesus Christ, right? Nobody else. The grave's still there. We can go dig them up. Muhammad, Buddha, all of them. It's only Christ. And then here comes a key verse. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Are you ignorant that all you, all we, he says, who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's the water. We were buried, therefore, with him through the baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in, in the uh, likeness of his death, we'll also uh, be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Somebody's been crucified, he's dead. He's dead that the body of sin might be done away with. Okay, either Paul's telling the truth here, or he's a liar. The body of sin might be done away with completely. We go to the cemetery right now. Nobody can go to lunch. They're all under the ground. None of them are sinning. We can ask them to tell lies. None of them are going to tell you a lie. They can't. The old man is crucified with Christ. He's dead. Body of sin, done away with. So that we might no longer be in bondage to our sin or sin nature. For he that has died is justified from sin. Now what he's talking about is an exchange, an exchange life. Our nature was nailed to the cross with Christ that sin nature, and we died there with him and in him. I was on I, Grain Street. I was a very young Christian, Susan and I, and I had this vision, and I didn't understand what was going on, but I was in the Spirit, and these things were happening. Next thing you know, I was at the cross, and I looked up at the cross, and I was hanging on it. Freaked me out, because I didn't have a clue at that time what that meant. I was a little concerned that he might be talking about being martyred or something, you know what I mean? But he was planting seeds. 
or what he was doing was putting dots. You know, I'm going to connect all the dots for me later. So here I was up on the cross. So what that means is that in a mystic moment, when you receive Christ, in a mystic moment, you go 2,000 years in the past, boom, are crucified with Jesus, resurrected, and are changed. You are no longer a human being. I'm talking part of the human Adamic race. You are part of a new creation at that point. Now, all we know is we feel different, but nobody educates us and teaches us this stuff. So what we're, we do at that point, I used to say the grass is greener, sky was bluer, didn't want to step on the ants because they should deserve to be here too. You know what I mean? I was born again. I could sense demonic I could sense angels. I didn't know why all of a sudden. It wasn't happening 10 minutes ago. It sure is now. Because something had happened. I was alive. I'd been resurrected. I'd been changed. Without knowing what took place. I didn't have the, the wisdom or understanding of this. Just the experience. Right? Um, hmm. Who wants to read Joe? Colossians. Do you want to do it, Tosh? Colossians 2. It's right here, Joe, somewhere. I don't know where I am now. In there somewhere. Colossians 2, that one. 11 to 14? Yep. Okay. In whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands in the putting off of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, wherein ye were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead through your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, I say, that he make alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, having blotted out the bond written in ordinances, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he hath taken it out on the way, nailing it to the cross. Beauty. Powerful. Give me King James, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, that's New American Standard. What, yep, what the thing here is, is this. There's a couple interesting things here. Did you notice that it says, which was contrary to us? It wasn't normal or natural that we were in a fallen carnal state. That's sin nature. That's not who you are. That's just who you thought you were. It says it was completely contrary to who we were. And Jesus took it away and nailed it to the cross. He talks about it like circumcision because what he did is like circumcision. They cut the flesh away in circumcision when the baby's eight years old. And they don't give it to you so you can carry it around in your pocket and put it back on, do they? No. So why is it that we want to do that? Why do you have uh, circumcised skin in your pockets? My question. That's the spirit of religion. That's what you got there. I mean, it's, it's right there, isn't it? And for the women, we won't go there. But in the Middle East, they've been circumcising women too. So they'll have their little flesh thing in their pocket too you got to picture it to understand how ridiculous the father of religion is. 
and how much we need to jack him out of here. Out of here. You've heard me tell the story where I said one day to the Lord, I hate religion because I got manipulated by that spirit once again. When somebody asked me um, if they could get some advice, I went to their house, they told me what the Lord said, which wasn't the Lord at all, but it sounded like the Lord. It definitely had that heavy hand of God, you know. And I sort of, as an elder at the time, I'm listening, and I'm going, wow. And so I said, well, you know what, maybe, maybe just let me pray about it. Because I didn't want to offend the person by saying, you know what, that's freaking ridiculous what you're saying, you know, right? But I was enough to know that it was ridiculous, but yet I didn't dare want to touch it just in case it was holy. I didn't want God to strike me dead on the way home. So I said, oh, Lord, and I said to her, I'll, I'll go pray about it, I'll give you an answer. I'll, I'll email you back an answer. And so when I went home, and it, I kind of wrestled with it all night, and then in the morning, or in the night, in, a, in my dream, I, I went into this thing, and I woke up in the morning in the kingdom. I love that. That's where we're going. That's where we want to be. And I've been there many times. I was in the kingdom, you know, the Father and the Son... I was, the presence of God was right there. It was like I was in the throne room. It was amazing. And it was the most amazing place. You know, it's that place of well-being where you're, you're, you're just, this is too good to be true. This is good. I really like this. This is a really good high, God. I was high. But you know what more? I could see clearly that that was religion. It had nothing to do with God. And I said, that's when I was saying, God, I hate religion. And he said, John... As long as it's in you, to the degree it's in you, you're blinded. But the second it's out of you, when you're free from this thing, you'll see it coming miles away. And you will not come under it. It doesn't matter whether it's the, you know, the celebrity of Christian, the Christian world won't give a rip. You'll see it, you'll smell it, you'll taste it. Right? But it's got to come out of you and me first. We got to get rid of it, or we're blind. We'll come under that control. And I've always wondered why is it? Why is it that we seem to be? You'll have to let me know. Why is it that we are prone to go to that? It's like a magnet, right? You know, somebody does something. It's like we quickly want to go under that control and oppression. I don't know why he seems to have so much power. And it's, it's not Jesus at all. We're just switching the tape. We're taping this so that people can actually, we're going to use it in a school down the road, and then um, people, if they want to watch it later, they can. I need to cruise in this. Is this making sense? Yeah? Yeah, it's familiar. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. But when we get familiar with Christ, we'll no longer like that other dude. Right? Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, but eventually, he can't come and do certain things and say certain things to me anymore. Are we recording, Corey? Okay. He can't say certain things to me anymore. He'd be wasting his breath. I just laugh at him because I know differently I'm anchored in truth now. Yes, yes, part of the, but, but God had already planted, you know, what I'm doing right here right now is not telling you something for the first time, I know God's been doing this to you for years, because he did it to me and I'm not special, right, he plants seeds in us, so that he can connect the dots and wake it up, he gave me dreams about the church, the condition of the church, and about the father religion, about Jezebel, and about where he wanted me to go, and what, what he wanted me to do, right, and so part of that is what I'm doing right now. It's because she needs, the, the bride needs to come out from under him. She thinks it's him. It's God. And it's not. It's taking inventory. When you take inventory of your life, is it working? That's what he said to me. He comes to me one day and he goes, so John, how's it working for you? I said, well, to be honest with you, God, I know a lot of it, but none of it seems to work. We're still waiting. And then he goes, but why then? Just think there might be a mistake? You just might have a problem with your theology. What? And then he said, hold it loosely in your hand and let me teach you. And that's when everything began to change. But I had to do inventory first, and he challenged me with it. Just simple thing. How's it working for you? And then he showed me in the bathroom in the ecstasy and the love of God that was just like amazing. And he said, we're going back to your future. That's where I want you. Right there, standing in the glory, standing in the blast, right? That was my future. I didn't know it. So I'm going back to that. Instead of what doesn't work, we're going to go to where he is and what does work. So here's another thing that we need to understand about the cross. And this is a powerful one. We need to be in agreement with the blood. You must agree with the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't, then we may want to get you saved. That seems a little intense, but you know what? I think a lot of people need to come to Christ. Because... The blood of Jesus Christ speaks loudly throughout the universe. It's powerful. It's extremely powerful. The devil knows it. That's why he has Satanists drinking babies' blood. Killing babies and drinking their blood. Let's just be real. And killing adults and drinking their blood. They mix blood and urine and, oh, and semen, and they drink it. And they call this powerful. And to this point, I've had this thought for a while. I'm going to throw this in here for free. This was another shower thought the other day. I haven't worked this one all the way through yet, but, hey, I'll give it to you anyways. They say that, <clears throat> that it's so powerful because they say if it's baby's blood, it's innocent blood. And so then they drink this or sign, and it gives power to the covenant that they've made with the devil. But i got a problem now with that. 
And here's my problem. All humans are born first through the Adamic birth. That means babies are not innocent blood. They're sinners. They have a sin nature. Therefore, there's only one blood in the whole universe that's innocent lamb, pure blood, and that's right there, Jesus Christ. So, even that he's got us believing, which is baloney, and all he's doing is stealing, killing, and destroying, and then making people think he has power in it, when the power is right here with the creator of the universe. There's only one innocent, pure blood, and it's Jesus Christ. And we know this from the whole Old Testament shadow of things to come in Jesus' death as the Lamb of God, right? And now we must come into agreement. Do you see why we have to be in agreement with this blood? You can't have doubts about it. Remember James at the beginning Either you're in agreement with the blood or you're not. There's no middle ground for it. We've got to move past, settle it. It's, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. So the, gra- the cross, not death, sets us free. Our problem is we've deified death, and that was the, enemy, the last enemy of Christ. We have deified death. Do you realize that we think that the second we die, we go to heaven and everything's perfect? Woohoo! Get my house on Hallelujah Boulevard. Whoop, whoop, right? But wait a minute. What the heck is that? I'm, what I'm doing is bowing at the altar of death, and it's the very enemy of Christ. I'm free now. That's the power of the blood. Not my body going down. Otherwise, Enoch is screwed. He didn't die, the poor fellow. In fact, he's just a light on the road for us because God's no respecter of persons, right? And it was by faith he uh, did not die. He escaped death because of his faith. Faith is Christ in me, believing in himself. It's not even mine, it's his. Therefore, Why do we die? Just a question. Just ask yourself the question. Why are we all walking down that road? Why did Enoch get out? And why did he do this pre-cross? It's because he believed, like Abraham. He was saved. Isn't that crazy? He got saved before the cross. He's seen it pulled, because cross was outside of time, he pulled it into his time and became born again. So much so that he never physically died, and he's got a lot to do with our time. Now. A.W. Tozer puts it like this, and this is, this is what I think's going on. It becomes the devil's business to keep the Christian spirit imprisoned. He knows, the devil knows, that the believing and justified Christian has been raised up out of the grave of his sins and trespasses. From that point on, Satan works that much harder to keep us bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in our own grave clothes. He knows that if we continue in this kind of bondage, we're not much better off than when we were spiritually dead. 
in the book is called The Pursuit of God, 1897-1963. In other words, if the devil can keep you right here, even after you got saved, you go back and you set up shop right here, you're not much better than you were when you were in carnality, right? You have to apply this in order to be able to go forward into the things the Lord's doing. That, this is foundational stuff. All I'm doing is foundation this morning. That's all we're doing, laying out some foundation, rip the forms off the foundation because houses look really funny with forms on them, and then we move forward into the things of God. So then God can actually, you know, take the training wheels off the bike and away we go. Okay, tree of life. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to quote a few of these quickly for sake of time. It goes, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. He's earthy. The second man from, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so are those that are, are, are uh, earthy. And those that are heavenly, also those also are heavenly that have connected to Christ, right? Of the second Adam. So we're to walk and be a part of the heavenly realm, not the earth. Not carnal, but spiritual. This is where God has called us, right here. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, where? In heavenly places, where? In Christ. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, before He even caused Adam to come up out of the dust, he'd already chosen you to be in Christ, that you'd be holy without blemish before him in love, having foreordained us as adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Sons, saved, friends, or sorry, saved, servants, friends, bride, Sons, all maturity level of growing in Christ until we're sons and we know who we are as not part of the Adamic race anymore. Moving in and out of heaven with God and bringing his government in. That's what he wants to do. So he wants to mature. He's calling forth for the sons of God is what he's doing. Romans 11, 6. Sorry, 16. If the peace or of the dough is holy, or the lump is holy, he says, also is the root holy, the branches are too. So if the root is holy, the branches are holy. If the, the dough is holy, then the lump is also holy. Do you see that? So if Christ is holy, him being the root, I'm holy. That's what it's telling me. I'm already holy because I'm a branch of the root. I don't work it out. I don't make it happen. Just like I didn't have to work hard at sin. It was really simple. It was natural to me. It's amazing how children lie. It just happens naturally. All of a sudden they lie. You don't teach them. We're going to teach our kids how to lie today. They just all of a sudden start doing it, right? John 15. We know this one. Abide in me, I in you. It's about the vine and the branches, right? You're being grafted in. You can't do anything except you abide in Christ. And in Him, He bears much fruit, for apart from Him, you can do nothing. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ 
lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live after the faith of God. It's God's faith in me who loved me and gave himself for me. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Adam Becker puts it like this. I tell you the truth. When Christ said in this verse above that the Spirit gives birth to spirit, Christ was not talking about the the Spirit being found in a 12-step program or a Romans road process that meets all the modern theology uh, approval. And he was not talking about saying a prayer or just accepting what he did on the cross and reading your Bible once a day as the way to be born of the Spirit. Christ had more in mind, or he would have laid it all out for us uh, there in that verse, and it could have been, it could have been confined to a 12-step program. But surely... Because he would have known, he says, all the time that people would have been reading that verse. Not to mention the man Christ was speaking with a, a man named Nicodemus. He would have uh, liked to process and for an answer with reason for it uh, to all to line up with the Old Testament scriptures. Nicodemus wasn't stupid. He was a Pharisee. So he was really a learned man. Instead, Christ said of the Spirit... The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This cannot fit into a means of understanding, even the understanding that we have from the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, it can never fit into anyone's theology or 12-step process. Because as soon as you think it does, God moves in another way. It's about following His Spirit. You see what I'm saying? You want a formula, but he's not going to give it to you. His formula is walk with me in the light as I am in the light. Know me. Know me. There is no shortcuts to intimacy. Intimacy is it. Right? He's not looking for soldiers. He's looking for lovers. Intimate lovers. That's what he wants. Philippians 2, or 3, sorry. Be, get this, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in our carnality, in our understanding. We're followers, it says, of Christ. We worship in the Spirit and in truth. Ephesians 2, verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with with Christ. By grace you've been saved, right? And he raised us up with him, seated us in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, the reason I'm giving these scriptures is you need to see what I'm saying is in the Bible. This wasn't some theory I pulled out of the air somewhere. God gave it to me, and then he broke it down for me. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in Christ, in him, with a view, listen to this, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. What's an administrator do? He administrates this thing. He brings it about. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. To the fullness of times, that is what? What are you doing? What's, what, what is the summing up? What is this? 
all things in Christ. Things in the heavens, things on the earth, all in Christ. You see, who is Christ if he isn't the mystic secret of God? Paul said, Christ in me. Me in Christ. He's the plan of God. Christ is the plan of God. Don't look for him. He's right in you right now. Believe instead. Quit looking. Quit seeking. Start believing. I love 2 Peter 1.4, that we've been granted unto us a precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you might become partakers of what? Divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. So now we're seeing the nature again. And I'm not going this morning into law. I could spend a lot of time on law and sin in Romans and show you this stuff. But the nature I've been given now is a divine nature. I don't have a sinful nature. I'm not a sinner. If I'm a sinner, I need to get saved. If I'm saved, I have a divine nature. If the root is holy, so is the branch. So I'm holy. I don't have to try to get holy. It's not something I work out. It's something I receive free as a gift because it's a life that's now inside me. I am holy. We're going to get to this. A divine nature I have. You see this? A divine nature. Puritan uh, theologian John Owen said, to suppose that whatever God requires of us that we have the power of ourselves to do is to make the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ of no effect. Now, this one scares me. Hebrews 10, 28. Someone who rejected the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was a law. How much greater punishment do you think that the person deserves who has contempt for the Son of God and profanes the blood of the covenant that made him holy and insults the Spirit of grace? See how serious this stuff is I'm talking about here? This isn't an optional thing for you. We need to come in agreement with the blood. Otherwise, we are in fact insulting the Spirit of grace and profaning the blood by trying to do it in ourselves because we haven't understood the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. Zechariah 4, the angel spoke to me, that spoke to me return, and he woke me as a man, it says, that's awakened from his sleep. And he said, what do you see? What do you perceive? What do you perceive? Perception is everything. Perception is everything. Mm, what was that, Lord? Hmm. It's so important that we come into agreement with Jesus and knowing what he did at the cross and that I have a new life. You have a new life within you and that there's a divine nature inside of you. 
If you're still in debate about this, do you see what you're doing? The devil's a pretty tricky guy. He's not stupid, by the way. He managed to go, you know what? I'm going to create a church. And I'm going to send one of my, my, my best guys there, and we'll call him the father of religion. We'll call him Jesus. Right? He'll look like Jesus. He has the robes on. Right? And he'll keep everybody in check right here. So nothing goes on. The apostles were wild and crazy dudes. Crazy, on fire, wild guys. I have a story here that exemplifies grace. Standing at the west end of Monumental Park with a group of happy pilgrims, taking in the sights and sound of God's amazing grace, we heard a fellow in the group call out and ask, Are we there yet? His voice was a bit strained and betrayed a measure of mild exasperation. The place called Grace. Are we there yet? Everybody was stunned. I must admit that I myself was a bit perplexed at the fellow's uh, disconnection to the moment. How could he not know where we are? Dude, he says. We've been here for quite a while. Somebody else in the group replied, realizing this guy needed help. I then said... At the start of the journey, I told you all that we would be traveling to a far place that's nearby, and once we're there, you'll realize that we've actually always been there all along. Remember me saying that to you? So are you saying we've arrived? A fellow then asked. You're the only one that can answer that, I replied. Grace is a place, listen to this, where you experience a power because you've met a person. Grace is a place where you experience a power because you've met a person. The person is the Lord Jesus, the King of grace and glory. The power is the incomprehensible influence of His redeeming presence in all things at all times. And the place of grace is everywhere humble men and women live freely to do God's will fully. So let me ask the question a different way, I then said. Have you arrived? The perplexed brothers stared at me in, a, in silence. Perhaps a short story will serve to illustrate my meaning. Years ago at a youth camp, the guest speaker present, presented a compelling message for me surrounding, uh, or, sorry, surrendering our all to Jesus Christ. What made his talk so compelling was a glow upon his face. This was real to him, and we could tell. He was standing in a place called grace. At one point in the message, he told us about an experience he himself had had at this very camp years earlier when he was with a student. He'd taken him for a walk in the woods after an evening meeting, and they found a spot where he fell on his knees and he cried out to God, Oh God, do in me anything you need to do so you can through me or so so you can do through me everything you want to do. The power of the Holy Spirit fell upon him as he prayed, and he rose to walk in newness of life, empowered to love and serve the Lord. We were riveted by his story, and one student approached me after our evening meeting and asked, Preacher, can you take me to that spot? Certainly, the camp preacher said, Follow me. And they headed off into the woods. And after they'd walked for several moments, the 
Student said, are we there yet? We're getting close, the preacher said. And they walked on further. And again, after some distance covered, the student said, are we almost there? It won't be much longer, the preacher said. It should be just a little bit further. They walked on deeper into the woods, getting farther and farther from the camp. The young man grew increasingly restless and asked once more, are we close to that spot yet? It shouldn't be too much further, the preacher said. After several minutes of hiking, the student fell on his knees, cried out in desperation, Oh God, I can't take it any longer. Do in me what you did in this preacher. God's presence suddenly flooded the young man's heart. He wept for joy, and the preacher smiled and said, There's the spot right there. Get it? Grace is a place where you experience a power because you've met a person. Nobody knows but you when that moment occurs. It's at that moment when you realize that you cannot and will not live another day outside the place called grace. So let me ask you a question, he says. And he's asking you, have you arrived yet to that place? Israel traveled 40 years to get to the promise of God, which was the promised land, which would have been taken 11 to 14 days to go 391 kilometers or 211 uh, nautical miles from Cairo to Jerusalem. From Cairo to Jerusalem, 11 to 14 days. None entered into the, that, uh, of that generation entered because of unbelief. I believe that that whole picture of Israel going to the promised land is a shadow of us. I used to say, God, I'm really glad I'm not one of them. That would really suck, God. Then he said, but you are. Where are you now? I'm not in the promised land yet, Lord. That's right. That's where we're traveling right now. And we keep going in circles. Or we can let the Spirit of God take us straight to Jerusalem, right? And quit spinning around the mountain all day. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation. We're doing new creation now. For them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ made you free. Notice it's a law that's made you free from the law of sin and death. What the, you couldn't do in the flesh, it says, was fulfilled for those that walk in the Spirit. So if there is no guilt and condemnation, why is it that we come under it? It's not God. There is no guilt, condemnation, and shame in Christ. That's a lie. So when it comes to your door, man, don't let it in. It's not God. It's that other Jesus dude, man. He sucks. I got to tell you, he really sucks. First Colossians 1.15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. <coughs> new creature. Old things passed away, all things become new. Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world, not just Christians, 
the world has been crucified unto me, and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Romans 2, 28 and 29. You're going to love this one. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. So just because you live in Israel and you're a Jew doesn't make you a Jew, as Jesus is talking about. Again, shoot Paul. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is from men, or not from men, sorry, but from God. So I don't look for praise from men, but I look from it from God as I walk in the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean we don't respect and pray for Israel. Don't get me wrong. But we don't exalt them and start to take on circumcision again. And that's what's going on. There is a bunch of that going on in the church. If you look around, they're wearing prayer shawls, they're going back and doing Shabbats, and they're doing all this Jewish stuff. This is no different than what took place in the early church when they went, you know what, I think the boys should be circumcised. So then they had to go to Jerusalem and talk to James and work this out and said, no, wait a minute. What are you guys doing? What do you think, we're going to go back under the law? Do you know that you won't get to heaven being a Jew? No more than a Mormon or a Muslim. Why? Because you need Christ. You need Christ. Now, God's going to move because of promises to Abraham on the uh, Jewish nation, but the people themselves have to go through the cross. You can't get there any other way. Do you remember? So the last thing we want to do is to return to be Jews when we have Christ. That's what he's telling you. Don't go get circumcised. Don't lift up holy a religious system. Follow me. That's what he's trying to get to us. Follow me. This is interesting. There's two words for the word new in the Bible. And they mean two completely different things. I'm going to show you what the scriptures I just gave you, that word new means. First, there's a word called neos in Greek. It speaks of a time frame of like new shoes compared to old shoes of the same type. So it means that, you know, I go out tomorrow and I get these same shoes, they're identical, but they're brand new. Let's say they don't have holes in them, they're not worn out. That's new shoes. But they're the same. They're not any different. They're just new. Then there's the word here, which is K-A-I-O-N-S, kaons, which is completely new, not from a, the, the, the same as before. The word new here means no longer human, but a heavenly being. It's a completely different creature. It's not the same at all. New. We had a horse and buggy, but we didn't get a new, you know, with rubber tires, a nice new one. We got a jet, right? C.S. Lewis put it this way. For mere improvement is not redemption. Though redemption always improves people. Even here and now, here now, and will at the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became man, 
to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better man of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. That's neither male nor female, by the way. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it's got its wings, it will soar over fences, which it couldn't even jump before, and beat the natural horse at its own game. But there may be a period while the wings are just beginning to grow, and when it cannot do so. And at that stage, the lumps on the shoulders... No one could tell by looking at them that they're going to be wings. In fact, they may even get a bit of an awkward appearance at the beginning. Romans 8:19. Be anxious for, uh, or for the anxious longing of the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation itself is waiting for sons. That's those who know who they are in the spirit. Those that are moving in and out in the heavenly realm, right? Glory to glory to glory, veils coming off the eyes, perceiving, you know, except you be born again. You cannot, the word there, see, is perceive the kingdom. See it around me, recognize it, walk in it. You know, for years... Um, We've been rallying around a cross as something that we've glorified. I'm talking now, um, we've put it on Bibles, jewelry, everywhere, right? But the first place that cross was seen was 430 A.D. on the doors of Santa Sabina in Rome, and it was only in a corner of a door panel. Historian Kenneth Clark said that early Christian art showed miracles, healings, ascension, and resurrection. So those with Jesus and those who were with those who were with Jesus, this is what they preached, and the focus of their gospel was the resurrection because it's a transformed life, a new creation. Do you see? Yeah, the cross is everything, the blood of Jesus. But in our day, we would hang electric chairs or maybe the gas chamber around our neck. You see? How do they put people to death today? That was a a way of killing people in Rome that were against the Roman government. We use electric chairs and more now gas. So what he's saying is, he's talking about focus. When you're born again, you need to be Christ-conscious, not sin-conscious. What we fix our eyes on, we become. If I think I'm a sinner, I still focus and I'm wrestling with sin, guess what it is that's overtaking me? Once I understand the truth and I no longer am focused on the sin, but focused on Christ, next thing I know, sin isn't even entering my mind. Because I'm not a sinner, remember? I have a, a different nature flowing inside of me. If you study John chapter 15, you'll see how this works. Just like before, sin was a natural way of, of things popping in my head and me doing. Now, the things that pop in my head are being kind or patience or long-suffering 
Do you see this? This isn't mine. I didn't learn these. You don't learn to be kind. Kindness just starts to flow out of you. It's either Christ or it's not. The fruit is of the root. It's not of the vessel. Like I said before to you, this bottle will never be this water. How can it be? It can try as hard as it wants. It will never do it. The water is in the vessel. And Paul called you a wineskin, didn't he? A tent. Okay. I'll quickly tie this up with the, tr- the transfiguration because it's important that we go there. Right, Barb? All right. Galatians 4.19. This is what Paul said, and this is what I believe I'm doing today, right now with you. My children, with whom I again, right, am in labor until Christ is formed in you. He was in labor going around till Christ be formed in them. And it comes through revelation. Romans 6, 10. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3. Having put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge, renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. So what am I becoming like? The one that created me. That's my true image. And the true knowledge is the revelation as God puts it in me, who I am. You ever see, there was this kid when we were little, when I was younger as a teenager, you know, one of my friend's kids, and we, we used to go over there, and he taught him yes was yes, and, or sorry, yes was no, no was yes. It's kind of a funny joke, right? So you'd ask him if he wanted something, and if he wanted it, he'd say no. It's just teaching. So what kind of yes and no's have you learned? What kind of brainwashing have we had? Again, go home, look through 120 translations, tear this sucker apart, but get to a place where you're no longer double-minded. You have to. Once you settle it, we can start moving in greater glory. Because God's not held back. He's all ready to party. Colossians 3, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, the thing is here, it's mind. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are here that are carnal, earthly. For you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. You see that? You're, you're hidden with Christ. The mind is not your brain. The mind is of the heart, your, your soul. You have a mind. You can go on and, and look this up. Um, Dave even will tell you this um, medically, that the way it processes information is there's a place in the heart where it actually sends information and it makes decisions. Literally. What's her name? Leaf? Carolyn Leaf. Yeah. 
Check it out. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, it's the mind that needs renewed. Ephesians 4, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Matthew 7, this is that picture where Jesus goes up to the side of the mountain and he's transfigured on the mountain. Now, what happened there? The glory that was inside of him as a man, the son of man, the glory of the kingdom inside of him shone out of him. And so they seen. I've seen this only in pieces on people where there's been a light over them or a light around them. I've seen it on Benny Hinn once back in 90... Uh, 80-something. That glory is in you right now. Because if Christ's in you, you can't get any more of him. Either you got him or you don't got him. So why are we trying to get something we've already got? We need to begin to let it out by settling this. Bobby Connor said, we're in a transition from the church age to the kingdom age, or as I call it, from the second to the third day, the day of the Lord. Hosea 6 is a prophetic word. It says this, He will revive us after two days, and He will raise us up on the third day so that we may live before Him. Where are you right now? Days is a thousand years. Two days past the year 2000 or wherever in there after Christ's death, right? We're in the third day, in the beginning of the third day. This is what God is going to do and is what he is doing in pockets on the earth right now, right? We're those that have settled this and have moved and started moving in some things. It says that we, he will begin to raise us up. What does he mean, raise us up? From the carnal stage, up, from glory to glory, right here, right now. Not you're going to bounce into the sky, beginning to see. It's a higher state. My ways are not your ways. Um, my ways are as the heavens are above the earth. That means, you know, he's not carnal. He moves in glory and revelation up here. We have the mind of Christ. God wants to bring us there. But you're never going to get there as long as you're sin conscious and constantly trying to defeat this. Let Christ settle it with his blood, move on, become Christ conscious, right? Understand there's a renewing going on in your mind to what? To what is? To the truth. As a man thinketh, so he is. Right? So he wants to revive us so that we'll live before him. So let us now... He says, now, sorry, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us. How's it going to come? Like the rain, the spring rain watering the earth. Again, 
It comes down and it waters and waters the ground until that ground becomes saturated and life comes out of it. What do you think is going on right here? There's watering going on. It's raining. It's been raining here for at least two years, maybe more. And you can see where we're going. Esther 5.1 is a picture of this. It says, it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. Maybe it's time to do that. Realize what you're wearing. The robes of righteousness. And she stood where? In the inner court. On the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room. Opposite the entrance to the palace. You see where we are and the revelation that God's unfolding to us on the third day. Bobby Connor also said the Lord told them that the other revivals were only a fragrance of God passing by. So what will it look like when he enters the room with his manifest presence? Seriously. Seriously. I will never, I only got a couple more scriptures. I still remember that night when um, Corey and I and Andrew went, came, I came to drop them off at Home Street and we went in and we sat down on the couch and we were just chatting for a minute and the next thing I knew, it, I was, we were undone. I was picked up off the floor by two beings and they said that I was being dangled like a marionette around the room, seriously, and then thrown over this chair onto the floor by this power. And we knew somebody was standing right in the room, and all three of us were on our faces, either weeping profusely, that means I wasn't deciding, gee, I think I'm sad. It's just was coming like intercession out of my being, and then the next thing you know, I was on my back laughing hysterically for two hours. And this was two days after Ivan left. God wants to move so far beyond anything we have any comprehension of. We look back to Moses' day as big. Come on. That's the shadow. What does it look like to all go up the mountain where Moses was and to come down and the glory not fade but intensify? Isn't that what Paul said? It's not even worthy to talk about Moses, man. Why would we talk about that glory? That faded. There's more on us. That means we've not pictured Paul right either, have we? The guy was a light bulb. Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration. Glory in me coming out from the Holy of Holies, my spirit, into my soul realm, which is the uh, holy place, to the outer court, which is my body. So that you could see it. You won't have to convince anybody to come to Christ. They will come, it says, to the light of your glory. The kings will come to the light of your glory. The first Eve lived in a perfect world and chose to sin. The bride of the last Adam will live in a most evil world and choose to obey.
That's where we are. To walk in the Spirit with the divine life of Christ in us and flowing through us. Proverbs 4.18 is such a powerful scripture. It says, The path of the righteous is like the bright morning light, growing brighter and brighter until the full of the day. Do you see what's going on? Glory to glory to glory. Revelation. Revelation coming. Two things left. We're just changing this. Is this still working? Okay. So like the, the first rays of light that come in the morning and it's, it's kind of shadowy and you can't see too well, and then it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until between noon and three, it's so bright there's no shadows because the sun's shining straight down on top of you, right? That's what's been going on. Right? That's what he showed me in 76. Glory to glory to glory. And even when as far as me going to Niagara on the lake and having a boat sitting, a sailboat at the bottom of the dock with perception written down the side of it. God wants to wake us up to what is, not what's coming. It's here now. Right? We've been dumbed down. But it's here right now. Believe as a little child. Christ's presence, right, is him in the present. If we will honor him and respect him for who he is, not as some religious thing that's going on, then what we'll do is he'll bring us further into this thing and he'll wake us up. Psalm 36, 8, this is it. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of your house, and you will make them drink of the river of your pleasures. Make me drink. I don't have to beg him. He's going to force feed me. He's going to make me drink of the river of his pleasures. This is the mystics in ecstasy. This is me standing. And by the way, in 1978, I am standing in the Shekinah glory of God, the liquid love of God. And how many know I'm not feeling as a sinner? I'm not there feeling guilty and condemned because I have passed through this and the father of religion hasn't got to me yet. And so Christ can come to me at that point. No bars held, right? I'm in like Moses on the mountain. I am in a place of unbelievable glory. And my prayer and cry is really is that you will come into that. Is that's my purpose is to bring people. Not enough for me to go there. I want others to know what I'm talking about, right? And if I could go there without any shame, because I was brand new. 
And then the father of religion came along and he brought me back over here and tucked me right under that root there. And he fed me lies. And he, he structured pillars into my life of distance and delay. And I found my whole 20-some years, I'm trying to remove the distance by the things I do, by obedience, by all these different things. And I'm trying to wait on the Lord for the great revival. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. When it's been a lie, why would I be waiting for something that already got to me in 78? Do you see? And so, he had to then begin to wake me up and start to bring me to the reality of the cross so that I could come into agreement with the blood and then begin to teach me who I am and begin to renew my mind to the reality of the gospel, the good news, the good news. In the cross... There is no delay, for Jesus said it's finished. Until, or finished, and fulfilled in his full transformation of humanity in his death and resurrection. Every human being on the face of the planet that have ever lived and ever will live were on the cross with Christ. I don't need to tell sinners, they're sinners. That's like telling an apple that it's an apple tree that it's an apple. That'd be stupid. God brings a spirit of repentance. The good news is Christ crucified. So my good news is that I can bring people into the reality and they can receive the gift and move into a place of new creation. Jesus doesn't go and die every time somebody wants to get saved. He did it for the whole world. He doesn't wish that none should perish, all should come to repentance. He, he already did the job. The work's done. It's finished. Right? Devil says he put him, he walked, what he did at Calvary is he put the enemy, completely defeated him, and says put him to open shame. Done. The devil had no idea that the creator came to the earth to create. He created a new creation. This is not a second chance. This is your death and resurrection. Do you see? Death and resurrection, new creation. Creator came down and said, let there be light. And created a whole new creation, Christ being the firstborn of that new creation. And now I'm a part of that creation. And you, if you've received Christ. And now he wants us to drop the forms off the foundation. Go home, rip this stuff up, seriously, and settle it in your hearts. If you need a, a PDF file, I'll give it to you. All of these notes that I just did, all the scriptures, and there's tons more. Or I can give somebody a hard copy if they don't have a computer or know what to do. Or want a hard copy. I can give you one. Um, but you need to settle it. You need to settle it. If we drove down and seen a nice, nice brand new house, and they still had the wooden form on the outside of the foundation, what would that look like? I think that's where we've been. So I want to take the form off, let the framers come, mature. Then we can start to move in some stuff. Things that eye has not seen, 
has not even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Isn't that crazy? Instead of having these meetings here on West Gore Street, we can go in the heavenly realm. Because the truth is we already are. But you can see it. You'll be able to see it. All right? Let's stand. I know it was a lot to take in. Sorry, but... No, I'm not sorry. It's not usually what I do, but he kind of woke me up and last week and said, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to give them the tools. So now I'm free. I can go on. You have the tools. You can't blame me now for getting really drunk. You can only understand and get there yourself. And anything I can do to help you, anywhere you want to ask about scriptures and debate it, I'm open. Right? I don't know everything. Like I said, I'll get Joe to give you the answers. And he's going to deflect you to Jerry. Yeah. Mm -mm. Hey. Father, I love you this morning. And not just this morning, Dad, but every moment since you first gave me a big kiss in 78. What a kiss that was. It's lasted me this many years. And now I'm deciding, God, that I want to go back there and just, oh, get smothered in that kiss. And, Lord, I just don't want it for myself. But, Father, I want to be able to see others come into that place.